All Strange Stories UK here again for Series 5, Episode 2. This one is called Murder at Tarrant Kenstone, Dorset, Part 1. So yes, this is a part, uh, a two-part uh, podcast, but I will post the second part within three days. So the following is based on notes written by Walter Hambrook, who was a superintendent of Scotland Yard, called in to investigate a case initially thought of as suicide, but later realised was murder staged to look like a suicide. I think it is an interesting examination of a murder inquiry in a small Dorset village in the 1930s. The classic time for a Miss Marple investigation. Agatha Christie wrote her first Miss Marple novel in 1930. One wonders what she would have made of this investigation in 1931. True life often doesn't have the neat finish as fiction, and true crime is often stranger than what the imagination creates. This case was unsolved in law, but I think most people that lived in the village knew the story and knew who was responsible. The case remained unsolved due in no small part by the villagers of Tarrant Kenstone's failure to cooperate fully with the police investigation and to accept that a murder, even two murders, had taken place in their village. This murder took place on the 1st of October 1931. Edward Wellham, who ran the kennels of Spaniels and Springer Dogs, was shot with a shotgun. Walter Hambrook, the Scotland Yard detective brought in to solve the crime, thought he knew who committed the murder, but was unable to bring the person to trial through lack of evidence. By the end of this podcast, it should be obvious who Hambrook thought was the murderer. To discover how Tarrant Kenstone got its name, I would recommend watching a film on YouTube narrated by Jack Hargreaves, telling how a Dorset River got its name from Saxon times, and in the process how Tarrant Canestone got its name. It will also give an idea of how remote the place is, Tarrant being a form of the word torrent, as in torrent of water, and Canestone being some derivation of some Saxon name. I would guess that the Jack Hargreaves film was equidistant between now and the time of the events we are about to examine. That was 1930 to, I'm guessing the film was made in 1976, to the present day of 2022. So, Tarrant Kenstone is on the main road from Blandford in Dorset to Wimborne, just north of the urban sprawl of Bournemouth, on the south coast of the UK. The village has links to the Iron Age, there being an Iron Age fort nearby, the history of human habitation in the area dates back about a thousand years BC. Tarrant Canestone remains only a small village. Today, 2022, the population is only 330. It's very rural, and visiting the area and Blandford, which is the local market town of the area, is like stepping back in time. There's not been a great deal of change. In April 1929, Mr. Ethelbert Frampton established the Coverdale Kennels, which were then at the Wimborne end of, uh, or the north end of Tarrant Canestone, near the Wimborne Road. He appointed Mr. William Steer as the manager and Edward Wellham as his assistant. Steer and Wellham had worked together at a kennel owned by Colonel Badcock at Steepletown and they left on bad terms. A later police report when investigating the murder of Wellham and the possible murder of Steer went into some detail. But I think it's fair to say that Steer and Wellham were in the wrong. They were young men on the make and there were some criticisms that could be made against them. But for young men with little money trying to make their way in the world, I think it's understandable. We don't know the character of Captain Colonel Badcock, who they used to work for. Mr. Frampton had been a customer of Colonel Badcock and got to know Steer and Wellham, and he decided to open his own kennels as a hobby 
as he liked gun dogs, this being the reason that he started the Coverdale Kennels. The other employee when the kennels first opened was James Mander, who was aged 63 and who was a farm labourer of Tarrant Canestone. Frampton was a wealthy businessman who lived in Christchurch, which was on the coast at Hampshire at that time, now Dorset. Frampton was a brewer and a corn merchant, as well as being involved in other areas of business. Frampton had no children of his own and seemed to be fond of Steer and Wellham. William Steer was the manager of the kennels. He was married, but when he moved to Tarrant Canestone, his wife showed no desire to go and live with him, preferring to stay with her daughter, who was from a previous marriage, at Dorchester and run a small boarding house there at Six Corn Hill. That was the main thoroughfare in central Dorchester. She clearly did not want to live in the middle of the countryside. Steer was not anxious for his wife to accompany him to Tarrant, and when he arrived in the village he struck up a friendship with single women, and active as he was himself single. In Dorchester, Steer's wife, Anna Steer, also seemed to act like a single person. I suppose it was not easy to get a divorce back in 1930 without a lot of expense, and so they came to their own arrangement. While working in Steepletown, Edward Wellham had also become engaged to a school teacher a few years older than him, and Edith Hilda Lunn, whose parents ran the post office and general stores. When Steer and Wellham first moved to Tarrant Canestone, they stayed at the local inn called the True Lover's Knot. Wellham soon moved out to lodge with a Mrs. Weeks at Rose Cottage, Tarrant Canestone and later he moved to the Hathaway family. There was village gossip regarding Edward Wellham and the daughter of Mrs Weeks. When Wellham moved to Hathaway household there was gossip about him and their daughter Mary Hathaway, who later became employed at the kennels. Steer and Wellham were said to be popular in the village of Tarrant Canestone, but being attractive vibrant young men they attracted the attention of village gossip. Samuel Schofield was a poultry farmer who lived near Ashley Wood, Tarrant Gainstone. He lived there since just after the Great War. He became friends with William Steer and on the 29th of December 1929 it was arranged that they would go shooting rabbits in a poultry runs. On that day Steer did not turn up, although Edward Wellham came at about 10.45am. Schofield knew Wellham and would not be surprised if he came along, but it seemed odd that he came by himself. Wellham said that Steer would come along shortly, as he had gone to Ashley Wood, which is now a nature reserve, and a Bluebell Wood. Schofield and Wellham were together until about 2pm. Several times Schofield had wondered where Steer had got to, and Wellham gradually seemed to have doubted as to whether Steer would be coming. Wellham, after leaving Schofield, went to the kennels and then to Steer's lodgings when he could not find him. Then he went to Ashley Wood where he had left Steer at about 10am that morning. At 5pm Wellham found Steer dead near a badger hole. On the 31st of December 1929, Mr Creech the coroner held an inquest and Dr Lewis Bodley Scott who had examined the body said he had found a circular hole in the left breast of Steer, about an inch in diameter, and there was no exit wound. The doctor had put his fingers in the hole, and he felt that the ribs had been shot away, and he felt the ragged close edges of the heart. It seemed that Steer was killed by the 12-bore shotgun going off close to his chest, possibly as he fell. There were no signs of a struggle, Steer, being six foot three and powerfully built, would not be an easy man to overpower, so it was not suspected that he'd been murdered. Further investigations showed that Steer had got into desperate muddle with the books at the kennels and was in grave financial difficulties. Add to this the problems he was having with his wife, it was thought that it was possible that either he had committed suicide or had an accident falling down with a gun going off. 
There were vague suggestions that Edward Wellham had prospered Bridesteer's death by being made manager of the kennels, but this seemed highly unlikely. The inquest rubber-stamped it as an accidental death. It seemed quite possible that this was the case, and there was no real suggestions that it had been murdered. However, it seems fair to say that the investigation was brief, and it seemed that everybody was concerned was happy for the accidental death verdict. And it's perhaps rather unconvincing that somebody who was behind in his bookkeeping, and was estranged from his wife, that he no longer wanted to be with, was being considered as a potential suicide. It should perhaps be mentioned that before William Steer had died, he had been very friendly with Schofield's daughters, Hetty and Louis Schofield, who were the head and assistant teacher at Tarrant Canestone School. They were the only staff at the school, being a small village, and any friendship seemed to cause gossip. Shortly before Steer's death, they had been organising a jumble sale to provide funds for Christmas treats for the children at the school. Steer was acting as if he was unmarried, and when he was talking to the Schofield girls, it was said that if Wellham was present, Steer would often speak down to him to emphasise that he was Wellham's superior, as he was trying to impress the young women. When Steer died, Wellham took the job as manager of the kennels, and the Schofield girls, who were fond of dogs, continued to visit the kennels. The police investigated and found nothing strange in this. It does seem a little odd that we are examining the death of Ted Wellham, but the death of William Steer that seems similar in several respects was quickly ruled as accidental. Just as Wellham's death was going to be ruled as accidental, if it were not for his employer asking questions through his solicitor, Mr Mallam, as his employer Mr Frampton suspected foul play. When Wellham took over management of the kennels, James Flander was the only other employee. He was paid 30 shillings a week, but did not remain long after Wellham took over, as Wellham wanted to cut down on expenses. Before he left, Wellham had a boy from Wimborne on trial, but being unsuitable, he was succeeded by a teenager, Frederick Diem, and it was shortly after the demon had come that Flander, was it Flander, or Flander left. In 1931, the kennels moved to an army hut situated to the west of the village on what was described as a triangular-shaped piece of land bordered by the road to Blandford and the River Tarrant. The land was fenced off with some hedging and barbed wire fencing. The land was rented from Coleman's farm. The former army hut was about 70 feet long and 15 feet wide. The centre of the hut had an apartment used as an office, and to the left and right there were corridors leading to six kennels, which housed between 40 to 50 shooting dogs. The entrance to the office was on the same side as the base of the triangle, and about 30 yards from the entrance gate, which was in full view of the office. The office itself was 15 feet, the, length, the width of the building, and about 10 feet, so quite small. The floor was about 14 inches above the ground, and there was no step to the door. There were, as I said, passages leading to the kennels on the left, and a similar passage leading to the kennels on the right, when the office was entered. Inside the office was a small chair, and to the right of that a tin trunk. Next to the tin trunk a writing desk. In front of the desk was a window which was about 12 inches above the desk. I'll post photographs on Facebook, the Strange Stories UK Facebook site and the internet site, strangestoriesuk.com, to give an idea of how basic the operation was. Behind the desk was a cupboard in which, amongst other things, there were dog medicines and gun cartridges and other items required in a dog kennel. There were three guns used at the kennels, uh, a 16 bore, a 12 bore and a small .410 bore. The 16 bore was Edwin Wellham's own gun and the guns were kept 
in their proper place on the right side of the desk chair in the corner. Next to the cupboard on the side nearer the door was a small gate or hurdle used to keep four sacks of feeding stuffs above the level of the floor. Edward George Wellham was found shot dead in the office at Coverdale Kennels on the 1st of October 1931. When Wellham was first discovered it was considered suicide, well mainly by PC Ed, PC Head who was the first police officer to attend. In retrospect, it seems possible that the person that shot Edward Wellham had staged the scene as a suicide. But it is possible that one of the first people onto the scene, Tom Hathaway, claimed later to remove a stick and string from the scene that had been staged as a suicide to fire the shotgun that killed Wellham. Tom Hathaway claimed that he wanted to spare the family of Edward Wellham the stigma that he killed himself. Thus, If he's to be believed, and I think the police did believe him, he thwarted the ruse of the killer who had staged the suicide. Tom Hathaway said he regretted his actions in removing the string and stick, as he said that he thought somebody may be charged with murder, which was assumed, uh, which he assumed was a suicide. Anyway, all of this is conjecture. The police were unsure of what the truth was. The curious point was that PC Head, who first said that it was suicide, insisted that this was the case. Statements taken seem to indicate that PC Head was telling those present that he was looking to justify a suicide verdict. Would a suicide verdict be preferable to the people living in a small village? This would stop the village being named and being tarnished with a murder case. At the inquest, when the doctors and the home office pathologist, the famous Bernard Spilsbury, they said that Wellham was without any question murdered, and if there was a staged suicide, that was probably the work of the murderer. PC Head still insisted that it was suicide. When Scotland Yard were called in, Superintendent Hambrook could not understand why PC Head made such a fool of himself at the adjourned inquest by insisting that it was suicide. This was another unexplained element of the case. Scotland Yard were called in on the 4th of October 1931 when it became clear that it was murder. Frederick George Deham, Wellham's assistant, and Mary Hathaway, aged 16, the daughter of Wellham's landlady, were the only employees at the, employees at the kennel. Deham was the last person to have seen Wellham alive. Police investigations revealed that Wellham and Diem commenced work at 7am that morning and each had a key to the office. Wellham had gone to breakfast at his lodging between 8 and 9am but Diem, who lived five or six miles away and travelled in from uh, to the kennels on a motorcycle or a push bike did not have any break and he had his breakfast before leaving home. He was cleaning out the kennels in the morning. Mary Hathaway, unless Wellham was away at dog shows, did not attend the kennels until about 3pm. Diem finishes work daily at about 5pm, but Wellham and Mary Hathaway would usually work until dusk. It may be mentioned here that Wellham seemed to have very little interest in life beyond the dogs. They seemed to occupy nearly the whole of his time. There was about 600 acres of shooting which were rented at Ashley Wood. Uh, This was for the purpose of training the dogs. The shooting also provided recreation for the proprietor of the kennels. Occasionally it was a practice of Harold Isaac Hathaway, aged 18, who was the older brother of Mary Hathaway. He was an odd boy, employed and residing at the rectory at Tarrant Canestone. He used to go out shooting with Wellham. They would take several dogs with them for training. I had to look up what the term odd boy meant. Uh, There is a meaning of a young man kept by a much older woman. But in this case, I'm sure that it means an odd job person. On the 30th of September 1931, Harold Hathaway and Edward Wellham went out about 6.30pm 
When they left the office, Edward Wellham told Harold to take the 12 bore, as he was going to take the dogs. Afterwards, Harold cleared, cleaned the 12 bore gun, as well as Edward's 16 bore gun. He cleaned the guns by running through the barrels, two rods, one with wire and the other with tow. Harold said that he didn't clean the outside of Edward Wellham's 16 bore, as the day had been dry and after cleaning the barrels, he put it in the corner by the cupboard near the desk where they were usually kept. They'd gone out shooting and returned at dusk. Harold said it was dark. He could not say whether the 16 ball was still in the cupboard, but the police report states there was no reason to think that it wasn't. Harold was certain that the guns were not loaded when they returned to the office that evening. It was believed that the last time the gun was handled before it was found beneath Edward Wellham's body after he had been shot. When Wellham and Howard Harold Hathaway had returned from the shooting, Mr and Mrs Frampton were in their car outside the kennels. They visited about three evenings each week. It was a journey of little under 20 miles from the Frampton house to the kennels. Wellham got in the car with Mr Frampton to discuss business related to the kennels. Wellham asked Mr Frampton about a dog being sent away on approval. He had been unable to finish two letters until he had spoken to Mr Frampton about the matter. Copies of the letters were written by Wellham regarding the matter were found on the 1st of October after the shootings and it was thought that Wellham had been shot while finishing the letters the next morning. Wellham stayed with the Framptons who drove him to the garden gate of the Hathaway's cottage at about 8.40pm. On the morning of the 1st of October 1931, things seemed to have gone on much the same as usual. Wellham and Diem were at the kennels first thing, and just before 8, George Sargent, aged 17, who lived at Tarrant Canestone, was a gardener employed at Tarrant Crawford, he was going to work by the way of the fields on the opposite side of the River Tarrant from the kennels, and he saw Wellham with the two loose dogs, one a black dog and the other a spaniel. This would have been Wellham exercising them just before 8am. Sergeant later identified the dogs that Wellham had been with. It's necessary to refer to these dogs in some detail as both play a part in circumstances surrounding the tra tragedy. Patch was the Labrador Retriever and had some skin complaint. Patch was a particularly brisk and active dog. Peter was a spaniel, and although only aged three years old, he was practically blind owing to a previous neglect to his eyes. Both dogs were returned to the kennels some months previous on account of their condition, and they were kept in separate kennels near the fence and isolated from the main kennels. Wellham took a special interest in the welfare of both dogs. There was a field of kale on the opposite side of the road from the kennels. This was an area of four acres of a 42-acre field, and it was separated from the remainder of the field by a wire netting fence, the kale being next to the roadway which divided the kennels from the field. We know that it was Wellham's practice to leave the spaniel Peter to roam in the kale field, instead of taking the dog back to the kennels before breakfast. Peter then used to run around the kale field and usually returned when he was tired. There's no reason to doubt that Wellham left Peter in the kale field that morning. Wellham went home to breakfast at about 8am and according to the Hathaways in whose cottage he lodged he was his usual self. A postman called with letters for him as the manager of the kennels, he received several each morning. There was nothing in the post that seemed to upset him. In fact, he joked about some of the comments and the letters that he had received. The wife of Henry Headley, who owned the shop and post office at the other end of Tarrant, Canestone, passed the kennels at about 9.25am. She did not see anything, or anything suspicious about the kennels. She did not observe anything unusual. She noticed a motorcycle and a pushbike, probably Demons and Wellams, leaning up about outside the kennels, but could not say if the office door was closed. 
Mrs. Headley was in the habit of accompanying her daughter to Blandford Grammar School each morning, except Sunday, and she always passed the kennels on her return at about 9.25am. From the statement of Edith Hathaway, Fred Demon had come rushing to her door at a little after 9.30 to say that Ted had been shot. He had come the distance of about 300 yards. When she asked who had shot him, Fred said something about Peter. Edith thought he was talking about Peter Coleman, the 15-year-old son of Mr Coleman, the farmer at Manor Farm. But it later turned out that Demon was actually referring to the blind, the blind spaniel, Peter, and that she was not clear what Demon actually said. It seems strange that Demon had accused the blind dog of shooting Edward Wellham. However, this does not seem to have been questioned or followed up. PC Head wondered if the dog had jumped up at the guns, causing it to fire. It is not known if Demon suggested the same when he had spoken to Edith Hathaway. Tom Hathaway, Edith and Mary Hathaway ran to the kennel with Fred Demon. They arrived there about 9.45am, followed shortly afterwards by William Hathaway. Tom Hathaway was working about 250 yards from the kennels at the Manor Farm kitchen garden where he was employed as a handyman. He said he heard a shot about 9.30, although all times were uncertain, and his wife had come to get him at 9.40 to say that Ted Wellham had been shot. Tom Hathaway entered the office first. His daughter Mary was about 30 yards behind and second in the room, followed by Diem. It said that Demon was anxious not to enter the office then came William Hathaway and a minute later Edith Hathaway. On entering the office they found Wellham unconscious lying on his back bleeding from his head which was towards the door, his feet being at the writing desk. Around Wellham there were some sacks and periodicals of the Field magazine. They tried to make Wellham as comfortable as they could, Mary undoing the top button of his shirt and putting sacks under his head to use as a cushion. The barrels of the gun, subsequently found to be Wellham's 16-bore, were under Wellham's back, the trigger being just above his right shoulder and the butt against the gate by the cupboard where four sacks of feeding stuffs of the dogs were kept. The fact that the sack cushion was found on the floor meant that there had been some disruption. This makes it seem that Wellham received some warning immediately before the shooting and whilst crouching over the desk in an endeavour to avoid the shot, moved his body from the chair to the left, thus causing the sack cushions and the periodicals to slide to the floor. Alfred Head, Police Constable 208 of Dorset Police, had been informed by Nellie Edwards, a servant at Coleman's farm, as he was passing, that there had been an incident at the kennels, and he immediately went to the kennel offices arriving a few minutes after the Hathaway family. As Head entered, Mrs Edith Hathaway and Mary left the office. Head found Wellham and the office as already described. He had a good look around before anything, before doing anything. He saw nothing near the gun. He pulled the gun from beneath Wellham and then lifted the injured man by the shoulders. Tom Hathaway assisted and he removed the and then unloaded the gun that was lying under Wellham's body, as there was a number five shots uh, live cartridge in the left barrel. PC Head knew that Wellham and Diem worked together, and as no explanation had been made, he asked what had happened. Demon said that Wellham had told him to go out in the kale field to fetch the dog Peter. After he was in the field, he heard the report of the gun from the kennels. Demon said he paid no attention to it, as Mr. Wellham often shoots up in the trees outside the kennels. Demon claimed that he collected Peter and returned, and on opening the door, which he had closed on leaving, he saw Wellham lying on the floor bleeding from the head. Demon said that he was frightened, or he may have said the, the sight frightened me, and he ran up the road to Mrs. Hathaway's, where Wellham lodges, to tell her. While waiting for the ambulance, PC Head took possession of the wallet and papers in the right inside jacket pocket and a small diary which was in uh, Wellham's waistcoat pocket. 
The one it contained, amongst other things, a game licence, an Irish sweepstake ticket and a pound note. Wellen was taken on ambulance to Blandfield Codged Hospital, being accompanied there by PC Head. He arrived at ten past eleven that morning. Wellen was unconscious, restless and bleeding severely from the back of his head. Upon examination it was found that there were extensive shotgun wounds on the left side at the back of the head. Some of the shot had fractured the skull and the symptoms indicated a severe injury to the brain. All persons present seemed to agree over the position of the body at the scene of the crime. Tom Hathaway was the first person on the scene apart from Fred Demon. And it was not until the 29th of October that Tom Hathaway mentioned to Mr Frampton, the proprietor of the kennels, that when he first entered the office four weeks previously on the 1st of October 1931, he had found a stick and a string near the gun. As he thought the presence of the stick and the string indicated suicide, he took the string off of the stick and placed the stick in the corner, putting the string in his pocket in the hope, so he said, that the shooting may be regarded as accidental and Wellam's mother would be spared the shock of knowing that her son had committed suicide. Later, Detective Hambrook of Scotland Yard, who was called in to investigate the crime, was of the opinion that the villagers could not conceive that one of them was a murderer. It didn't seem credible to them, so it must have been an accident or suicide. The parish priest had asked his par parishioners to try to help the police inquiry during his Sunday sermons, as they seemed so reluctant to imagine that a murder had happened in their village. Detective Hambrook said he had a lengthy interview with Tom Hathaway and took a further statement from him since the development regarding the stick and string. Tom maintained that he found the string, uh, which he kept, which was two foot nine inches long and attached to the stick by a slip knot. All the dimensions were given in some detail, but it seemed that the setup was tried to indicate that Wellham had shot himself, but it would not have worked in practice. According to Tom Hathaway, he concealed the findings of the stick and string believing that the jury's verdict would be accidental death. But when the verdict of willful murder against some person or persons unknown was returned, the matter played upon his mind because he thought that he might be arrested for murder, which, or someone may have been arrested for a murder which they had not been committed. Tom stated that he'd been in the office about a minute and a half before he noticed the stick and string. Mary Hathaway was speaking to Wellham, but getting no answers. Mary worked with Wellham. She was very upset. When she arrived at the kennel, she looked at Wellham and said, Oh, Ted. But with him being unconscious, he did not reply. She loosened his tie, undid his collar, but otherwise did not interfere with him or anything else in the office. Her father, Tom, had warned her not to interfere with the scene of the shooting. Mary had noticed that Wellham's jacket, which was usually buttoned, was undone and that the sides were lying on the floor with the lining exposed. His wallet and some papers were sticking out of his pocket. Mary knew Ted well, and he knew that he carried money about him, giving suggestion that it was an attempted robbery. Other villagers later commented that it was known that Ted Wellham carried money around with him. Fred Demon had left the office as soon as he could, saying he was going to get medical help, even though he had been told that it had already been called for. Tom Hathaway said that Demon had been most anxious to leave the office. When Mary was waiting at the office door for her mother to arrive, Tom was alone with Wellham. This is when he put the string in his pocket. Tom Hathaway did not mention this to anybody else until he spoke to Mr Frampton on the uh, in late October. And accepting Demon, none of the officers who none of the others who were at the office just after the shooting, had noticed the stick and the string. Tom Hathaway admits that when PC had arrived and looked around the office to see if there was any note left or anything to indicate suicide, PC Head spoke about string, asking if there was any about, and that Tom Hathaway knew what the officer meant, string attached to the gun, and the possibility of suicide. But Hathaway states he can't remember if he answered or what he had said but he agreed that he did not say that he had found a piece of string and stick near the gun.
Then he put the string in his pocket and put the stick in the corner of the room. When Tom Hathaway omitted removing the stick and string, Hanbrook realised that it was necessary to have another photograph showing the position of the stick and string in relation to the other contents of the office where Wellham was found. For this purpose, he arranged for William Hathaway to assume the same position on the floor as Wellham, the remainder of the office being arranged as nearly as possible to correspond with the appearance when it, the first photographs were taken. This was on the 5th of November 1931, the stick and string being placed in position by Tom Hathaway. Mary Hathaway and PC Head were also present. Later similar photographs were taken with policemen taking the part of Ted Wellham. Hambrook had not had the chance to question Demon as to whether he had seen the stick and the string. Demon had met with an accident on the 1st of November crashing his motorcycle and was detained in hospital. After he was released from hospital, Demon seemed anxious to avoid police questioning. Going back to the 1st of October when Wellen was taken away on the ambulance, Hathaway noticed a loose dog near the office door. Demon said, I'll go and shut Peter in, Peter being the blind dog. Nobody had took much notice of the comment at the time, but it would seem later to be a talking point, as Demon had claimed he'd already put the dog in the kennel after it came back from the kale field. Wellham never regained consciousness and died at 12.20pm on the 2nd of October 1931. He died from shock and loss of blood. Dr Wilson's opinion was the injuries could not have been self-inflicted. Dr Wilson assisted Bernard Spilsbury when the latter made his post-mortem examination, the result of which confirmed Dr Wilson's original diagnosis as to the cause of the death and his opinion that the injuries were not self-inflicted. After the shooting, the owner of the uh, kennels, Ethelbert Frampton, received a phone call from Mrs Coleman, the farmer's wife at Manor's Farm, telling him of what she knew. Frampton arrived at the cottages at 10.50 to find the office empty. There was a pool of blood on the floor, clearly before the time when crime scenes were secured with yellow and black tape and do not enter signs. It seemed that Mr Frampton could do whatever he wanted at the kennels. Fortunately, Frampton was anxious to discover what actually happened. Demon came in shortly afterwards and told Mr Frampton that Wellham was at the desk writing and said that they, Wellham and Diem, were going to go out shooting a little later and Wellham told him to go out and fetch the dog Peter. Demon said that when he was in the field he heard a shot fired but did not return until about ten minutes later after he had heard the shot. When he opened the door he saw Wellham lying on his back on the floor in the office and he, Demon, immediately ran for assistance. Demon was described as Mr Frampton as white and frightened, but explained it all to him as he thought how it happened. Mr and Mrs Frampton were a childish middle-aged couple who thought a lot of Wellham and more or less looked upon him as a son. According to Frampton, Wellham would not leave a gun unloaded and he'd often seen Wellham unload a gun before crossing the road. When returning to the kennels after shooting, Frampton never saw Wellham load the gun at the kennels before going off shooting. Wellham would wait until well into the cow field before he loaded his gun. Also, he said that Wellham would also always open the breech, even if he did not unload, before he crossed the hedge. Mr Frampton said that he had never seen a more careful man with a gun and he was certain that Mi Mr Wellham would not load the gun at the kennels or cause it to be loaded there before going off shooting. Mr Frampton could not entertain the idea of suicide from the beginning. When at the offices he looked around and wondered what could have happened. He found the shot and shot holes in the boards above the desk. It was Mr Frampton who first formed the opinion that Wellham had been shot from outside the door of the office and when Superintendent Clark from Dorset Police later arrived, Frampton said he was sure that it wasn't suicide. To justify his opinion, Frampton got his chauffeur Frank Cornet to drive him to the kennels to fire a 12-bore shotgun at a distance from 15 feet, measured from where the door to where Mr Cornet stood.
which of course did not allow for the width of the body and the length of the gun. However, this produced a spread of about 74 inches deep by 6 inches wide and showed that as the 16 bore would not spread as much as the 12 bore, that the 16 bore with which Wellen was shot must have been fired at least 10 or 11 feet away, the distance being measured from the boards to the muzzle of the gun. Mr Frampton would prove correct and a better judge than PC Head, who was the first police responder on the scene. The spread of the shot convinced Mr Frampton that the gun had not been fired close to Wellham, and he could not account for the gun being found beneath him. The fact that to the left trigger was also at full cock convinced Mr Frampton that the shooting could not have been accidental. Frampton was sure that it was murder. On the afternoon of the 1st of October 1931, PC Head saw Diem at the kennels. PC Head realised that Wellham's injuries were serious and he was unlikely to recover, in which case there would be an inquest. He therefore told Diem that he would have to take a statement from him. Diem's statement was that he started work at 7am cleaning out the kennels. Mr Wellham arrived about 10 minutes later and left at 8pm for breakfast from which he returned at 9am. Wellham then went to his desk and started writing, saying to Demon, How much more cleaning have you got to do? Demon replied, One more kennel. Wellham said, Well, go and fetch Peter, the dog which was in the field opposite the kennels. Demon left to fetch the dog, closed the door behind him, as Mr Wellham always liked to, the door closed whilst he was writing. Demon went down the road about a hundred yards and into the field when he heard the report of the gun discharge at the kennels. He got the dog and returned to the kennels and on opening the door saw Mr Wellham lying on the floor by the desk, his head towards him with a large pool of blood on the floor. Demon being frightened then rushed to the Hathaway cottage for assistance. He did not see anyone enter or leave the kennels for the ten minutes he was looking for the dog Peter. It should be noted that Diem had been summoned by Wimborne police to appear at the petty sessions there on the 2nd of October 1931. Diem was on a charge of stealing a generator from an unattended motorcycle. For this offence, Diem was bound over for 12 months in order to pay 8 shillings. Diem had tried to get the case postponed or thrown out as his employer had just been shot and he would have to look after the dogs but he was told this was not possible and he would have to attend the court case. The inquest on the Wellham shooting was on the 3rd of October at the Badger Hotel, Blandford. Mr W. H. Creech was the coroner for North Dorset and was conducting the inquest without a jury. It may have passed through a suicide had not Mr Frampton told his solicitor, Mr Malamar Bournemouth, to appear at the inquest on behalf of Wellham's relatives and himself in order to ensure a thorough investigation. Wellham's mother, Maria Wellham, who was the wife of Walter James Wellham, a farm labourer living at Cherry Ground, Shotley, Ipswich, also attended. Fred Dean, who was at that time not regarded with any suspicion in the matter, gave evidence as to the events of the morning of the 1st of October, the day of the shooting. He stuck closely to his story that he originally told the police. In answer to Mr Mallam, Diem said that he could see anyone who went into the office had he looked, as he was opposite the kennels at the time of the shooting. He had seen nobody enter or leave the offices. This must have raised suspicions, as just Wenham and Demon were at the kennels when Wenham was shot, with Demon claiming to be about 120 yards away, and he had not seen anybody else. PC Head was the next witness, and briefly described the kennels and the position which he found Wellham. He referred to the shot in the board in the front of the desk, which he said was three inches by two inches. Head, who seemed desperate for the verdict of suicide, had to later amend his evidence at the adjourning quest to give the spread of the shot as being seven inches. It seemed that no question was asked why he had so badly got his first testimony wrong. PC had concluded his evidence on the 3rd of October, saying that there was no evidence of a struggle and it appeared to him a case of a man taking his own life or an accident. 
Head was cross-examined by Mr. Mallam, who said that the gun had been discharged at least 10 feet away, and so could not have been suicide or an accident. Dr. Wilson was then called to give his opinion, and that was that the shooting was not self-inflicted, and he produced x-ray pictures to prove the showing the spread of the shot, showing that the shooter was some distance away. Mr. Wilson's evidence impressed Mr. Creech, the coroner, and so he adjourned the inquest so further inquiries could be made. It was at this stage when the matter was brought to the notice of Major Peel Yates, the Chief Constable, who visited the kennels on the 4th of October, and in consequence sent a message requesting assistance from Scotland Yard. The kennels were visited again by the police on the 5th of October, by Chief Inspector Hambrook of Scotland Yard and it was confirmed that Wellham had been murdered and Fred Demon's version of events was thought unsatisfactory. Despite the suspicion regarding Demon, Inspector Hambrook, who had been brought in to handle the case, purposely avoided interviewing Demon for a couple of days, as he had already been given a statement and evidence at coroner's court, and it was hoped that something else would turn up. On the 5th and 6th of October 1931, Superintendent Walter Hammond made a detailed examination of the kennels and surroundings, and stated that he was satisfied that no one had entered the kennels from any other point other than the entrance gates leading from the roadway. Hambrook gave his detailed account of how he came to this conclusion. It didn't seem too technical. For example, he said that he examined the river bank of the Tarrant, on the south side of the kennels and said he could find no evidence of anybody having crossed the river from the kennels or from the field on the western side of the kennels. There was a fallen tree trunk across the river and the trunk being covered with green slimy moss which had not been disturbed. Hambrook, as he was old school, had worked through all the possibilities in a methodical manner. Fred Demon was interviewed by Hambrook on the 7th of October, who told him the day before the murder he was shooting with Wellham in Ashley Wood. They were careful to avoid the houses that adjoined the wood, as Wellham told Demon that Mr Cripps, who lived in a house there, had put an axe through the kennel windows as a protest of them shooting too close to his house. Demon also said that he did not tell Wellham about the summons that he had received to appear at Wimborne Petty Sessions on the 2nd of October but he was going to ask on the Thursday, the day that Wellen was shot, for the half day off. Demon was asked about Mary Hathaway. Hambrook knew that Wellen was protective towards her, treating her like a sister. Demon said that he did not want to take her out, and he had already got one, presumably referring to his girlfriend, Catherine Fripp. Demon gave Detective Hambrook his thoughts on the Deb Wellen shooting. He thought somebody had come into the office and taken the gun while Edward Wellen was at breakfast and that the police said that he would surely have seen him and that Demon said that the person may have hidden behind the fowl house or in the field. The policeman said they took Demon out of the fowl house and looked behind it and Demon then agreed that there was no room to hide behind the fowl house with all the nettles. Demon then said that the murderer may have hidden in the lavatory as he'd never went in there. The police then noted that if there had been someone there, the dogs were close by and they would be particularly noisy if any stranger was about. Demon had no answer to that comment. The police report then concluded that Demon would stick to his story of having gone to get Peter no matter what happened and there was practically no help of him, no hope of him getting anything in the shape of an admission from him. Demon had tried to put the blame on others or seek alternative explanations as to why Wellen was shot. It must have crossed the minds of the police that perhaps there had been an argument between Wellen and Demon on the morning of the 1st of October. Perhaps Wellen realised that Demon had been summoned for theft and items had gone missing from the offices. For example, Wellen had recently lost a wallet containing £11. He may have thought that perhaps Demon had taken it Added to this, Demon had not been a reliable employee. For example, when Wellen was off work injured, Demon did no extra work to help Mary Hathaway run the kennels. Could it be that Demon, who was an odd character, 
reacted in temper to shoot Wellham. Demon was uh, very uncomfortable to be in the office after Wellham had been shot. Perhaps Wellham would have become unconscious and tell Hathaway family that Demon had shot him. Well, that concludes part one. As I say, I will post part two in a couple of days. And so I'd just like to say thank you for downloading and listening. And thank you for De- uh, for Damselfly for providing the background music. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>